A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 193 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman, and with me like the idea of the Falcon being a hunk of junk, the EU guru himself, the count of two continuities, Mr. Nathan B. Butler! Hey everybody! I guess I'm something that people think is true, but to those who really love me, it's a lie. Right, the Falcon's a hunk of junk? Ah, never mind. How you doing, Mark? I am doing pretty dang well, especially in light of all the things this last week that could or could not have gone right or wrong with my viewing of The Force Awakens. <sighs> but that's not what we're here to talk about, is it? No, it is not, though it's coming. Uh, we are going to be doing some detailed, in-depth The Force Awakens coverage, dealing with even the different spin-off materials and how it relates to the old Legends continuity and all that kind of stuff. In the very near future, right as we're getting after the new year. But we have a tradition to uphold here for the end of this year. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode we'll be focusing on the novels of 2015, with our next episodes being comics and the one to follow being the games, television, and the uh, other stuff. Now consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure Beyond the Films. That's right. We try to break this down every year kind of the same way. This year it's a little weird because The Force Awakens kind of falls under that other stuff category in that it's not, you know, an entity with a lot of films, for instance, to go alongside it. It's just kind of a one-of-a-kind thing for the year. So we are talking books, you know, novels, ebooks, young adult stuff, uh, magazines, all the different prose fiction stuff this time around. Uh, the way I've divided this up to kind of give us some context for this is into novels and then ebooks. And then young adult books, then sort of younger reader books, not really children's books, but books aimed a little bit younger than the young adult category. Then we have sort of an other category, a little bit of a catch-all. We've got a quick look or a quick rundown of paperback reprints and magazines, a little bit on short stories and whatnot that we find within some of the magazines. So it makes for eh, kind of an interesting little chunk, but I would say this is actually a fairly chock-full year for Star Wars in print. So I guess we should start with the novels. This is a, the category that you're probably most familiar with out there, folks, because this is one that we've covered a lot here on the show. 
For novels this year, we had Heir to the Jedi, Lords of the Sith, Dark Disciple, Aftermath, sort of had a new dawn in Tarkin because we had the Rise of the Empire Omnibus that had a new dawn, Tarkin, and then three new short stories, Mercy Mission, Bottleneck, and The Levers of Power. And then, of course, we had Battlefront Twilight Company. That's quite a few. That's five novels this year. And then you get that weird Rise of the Empire tossed in there with it. That's the most that we've had in a little while. Yeah, there's quite a bit of stuff. I mean, especially when you think about once Force Friday came, there was there was quite a bit of stuff, too. Uh, of the novels, you know, when I think back over this year, I think the one thing that has me kind of holding my breath is, and I want to put a, a positive spin on this because I want to be positive when it comes to the differences between canon and legends, but there's a lot of people out there that are very happy legends got cast aside and we've got a whole new canon and their reason is because you know the eu didn't put out a lot of good stuff that there was a lot of uh, quantity over quality uh, which was a big problem and when i look over this last year and i mean especially just the novels uh you know i i almost worry that we have a very similar thing at this moment uh because of the novels here some of them are really good and most of them are kind of meh and that concerns me when you know you've only had one year out and yet most of the books you know there's there's no real stand-up knock it out of the parks right out the gate like it wasn't till the year was almost over when we were really like kind of feeling confident enough to say that books like dark disciple and you know uh lost stars were the quintessential reads uh you know i mean it was just really rough in that regard for me with this year. Uh, but when I think about it, Lords of the Sith was a fun read. Uh, Dark Disciple, I really enjoyed that one. Aftermath, while I didn't care for it so much, after seeing The Force Awakens, there are elements about it that do make me more excited, having them kind of tie into the film, uh, which surprises me. Uh, the Rise of the Empire... You know, that book having the extra stuff in there. I haven't had a chance to get a hold of that one yet, so I don't know about the extra stuff on there. Uh, but The New Dawn and Tarkin. Tarkin was a decent book. Um, but I'm really getting a kick out of Battlefront Twilight Company right now. I'm uh, in that, and I started the uh, ebook for The Force Awakens. But Twilight Company, I'm really digging the feel on that one. Uh, I, I think if you're wanting, you know, a war-type story, or if you like the Karen Travis-type stories, that that's definitely going to be a fun read for you. Uh, but again, I, I, I just hope that the story group has a good tight handle on it because there were a lot of stories out there this year that I kind of felt like we really didn't need to have them. Yeah, I guess when we're sort of mentally comparing this back to the early days of Legends, it's a, a, like a night and day difference because the Legends continuity tended to tell stories in trilogies. It tended to tell stories that were these epic sort of galaxy spanning things. All the major film characters are there and they're these kind of big military campaigns or this big, huge overarching storyline like the Jedi Academy trilogy or the Thrawn trilogy and all that. And that doesn't seem to be what we're getting so far. It seems like in this case, it's actually more like just a bunch of one-offs. Connections form between those one-offs and other things, but... They're kind of one-offs in most respects. I think Heir to the Jedi, I really like the first-person storytelling of that that Kevin Hearn used. It's actually why I'm probably going to read his Iron Druid stuff in the near future. I don't know that we really need to have a bunch of stories with different stages of Luke's Jedi development 
And it seems like there's some question among the writers, hey, which order do these go in? Where they're not really telling the writers which order different stories like Heir to the Jedi and the Skywalker Strikes comic and Weapon of the Jedi are actually supposed to take place in. It's kind of a you write and we'll figure it out, says the story group kind of thing, which is a little bit concerning. But for what it was, a story of Luke's development, I liked it, gave us some interesting new characters, just didn't feel like it had much impact beyond Luke learning you know, a little bit of Jedi abilities. Lords of the Sith, Enjoyable book, it not something huge and bombastic, not something that really is is a standout favorite of mine, but we got to see Chum Sendula in action, and that's going to tie in more with Season 2 of Rebels, apparently, eventually. So, kind of cool to see where that goes. Dark Disciple, very well written, great wrap-up to Asaz Ventress's Clone Wars storyline. I kind of felt like, for a long time, that was the pinnacle of the story group's new story so far. There's one that has topped it since, which was Lost Stars, but Dark Disciple was an excellent, excellent read. Really got an emotional impact on me when we get to the very end of that story. As for Aftermath, we talked about this in recent episodes, Aftermath didn't do a whole lot for me. Really just kind of felt like a letdown compared to all the hype. It wasn't what we expected it to be. It was an okay story with okay characters, but it just never really felt as though... It was, you know, really mattering in any real way. And I sort of find that now that I've seen The Force Awakens, I'm both more appreciating some of it and yet not at the same time. Uh, there's this whole thing in that book about how uh, the Moth wants Sloane to give him access to the Superstar Destroyer Ravager. And we find out by the end of the book, oh, she didn't actually have it. It's with that Fleet Admiral. Ooh. And you get this sense of, wow, that Ravager, that Star Destroyer, Superstar Destroyer must be a big part of the bridge between that story and The Force Awakens eventually. But no. It turns out that in the film, when they're flying through the insides of a crashed Super Star Destroyer, that's the Ravager. The dude's got it for like another month or two, and then boom, Battle of Jakku comes, and the Ravager's a non-issue. Why are they playing it up? At the same time, though, we did find that Greg Gruenberg, I believe is how you say it, his character in The Force Awakens, that's Barrett's neighbor from Rebels Roundtable, um, the guy from Heroes, he plays Snap Wexley in the film, which you kind of got to read between the lines a little bit in the visual dictionary for The Force Awakens, but Snap Wexley... Snap must be a nickname because that's actually Timon from Aftermath all grown up. So, kind of a cool connection there. Still doesn't make it a fantastic book, but at least it feels a little more relevant because he shows up... It's, it's, like, a, it's like if it was right before A New Hope came out in theaters and they gave us a book that was the background of Wedge. We'd be like, where the hell is Wedge? Until that very, very end of the film would go, oh, that's who that book was about. Wow, I feel kind of robbed. I feel kind of <laughs> swindled that... That's who I was getting the background for. Um, but we'll find that that's the case with a lot of Journey to the Force Awakens. I just learned that snap connection today. And I was like, I'm like, who's Parkman? Who's Parkman? I was like, I'm really digging this character. I just like Parkman, you know? And so then when I found out that that was actually the character from Aftermath, I was like, oh, dude, that that actually redeemed Timon a little more for me. I was like, okay, I actually have more reason to like Timon aside from Mr. Bones. You were like, oh, snap. <laughs> and yeah, I learned that today also. Um, then you've got Rise of the Empire. The short stories were actually pretty good. I like the short stories that are in there. Two of them have Ray Sloan. Ray Sloan is becoming this constantly recurring character, kind of like Gilad Pelian was back in Legends. And then Battlefront Twilight Company. It's a really good, dark, 
military book for Star Wars, of a storytelling kind that we really haven't seen before. Even really in Karen Travis's Republic Commando stuff, it didn't really go into this sort of mindset because that was all about, you know, they're the clones and they're all clones. And because they're clones, then what's the value of life? And clones, 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 and that sort of constant refrain. Whereas in this case, they're not clones. We're talking about individuals who have always been individuals throwing themselves into battle, and some may make it out, some may not, which really feels like a gritty war story for Star Wars that we don't tend to get. So overall, I think the novels were fairly solid this year. It's just that these novels, the adult novels from Del Rey, aside from Dark Disciple, I don't know that we had any home runs. We just had some triples or some doubles, so to speak. Yeah, that was definitely where I was at as well. Um, I really hope now that we've got episode seven out of the way that we'll start to get more of a plan. But at the same time, I'm kind of not really thinking that that's going to be the case because, you know, I'm going to keep it spoiler free here, but the film still left a lot of questions and what answers it gave us again, rose more questions. So I'm kind of like, wow, did, did Denning have a hand in this somewhere? Uh, But there's aspects that I want to know before episode seven comes in that sets the characters up for where they're at. But I don't think they could tell us those stories yet because to tell us those stories would give us some details that we're going to be getting in either episode eight or episode nine. So I kind of worry that we're not going to get a big chunk of an era really fleshed out until after episode nine comes and then they'll go back. Cause I have a feeling they want to keep it a secret, keep the suspense for the films. Uh, so that's what has me worried. I'm afraid we're going to continue to get more of these fluffer type stories that will, yeah, they'll give us a little tidbit here and there, but I just, I kind of have, a, I have this real bad fear that it's going to be the same as this year where we're going to get maybe one or two really good books and the rest are going to be, yeah, so, so they were all right. Some people think they really suck. Some people think they were okay, but they were kind of running the mill. And I'm, I'm worried that five years from now, we're going to look back at this year and next year. And it's going to feel like there was no plan with the stories. And I, I think that that's because they want to keep the suspense for the films. I think there's this, this really hard cha-cha they're doing here, you know, like they're waltzing around our suspense uh, and, and they've done a good job of, of creating these scenarios where you want to know more, especially with the new movie. But again, that suspense for the next film to come down the road, I think that that's going to keep those little information tidbits from popping up in the next book for us. And that, of course, will also play into, I think, what can kind of be our final question of this episode when we get to the end, which is whether or not the Journey to the Force Awakens was a success or not. Speaking of Journey to the Force Awakens, that brings us to the ebooks. We actually had five ebooks released very, very soon, or five e novellas, e short stories, shortly before The Force Awakens came out. And then we had the big one on the day The Force Awakens hit theaters. We had The Perfect Weapon which is a separate little novella ebook. Then we had four stories out of the six that will be in a book called Tales from a Galaxy Far, Far Away, Aliens, which were High Noon on Jakku, All Creatures Great and Small, The Face of Evil, and The Crimson Corsair and the Lost Treasure of Count Dooku. And then, of course, with those, or shortly thereafter, on December 18th, we got the release of the ebook of the novelization, of The Force Awakens by Alan Dean Foster. The actual book in print doesn't arrive until January, I believe it's 5th or 6th 
of 2016 for whatever ridiculous reason. I guess because they didn't want to wind up with it uh, being spoiled by sitting in somebody's you know, back stock room or something and somebody reading it before the movie comes out, whereas the ebook until they actually release it themselves, the file shouldn't be available to anybody, even to, say, Barnes & Noble or to Amazon or to whomever. So ebooks became sort of an unusual little blast here right near the end. So in the terms of the ebooks, I there are a couple here that I'm actually excited for. Uh the perfect weapon is one that I really want to know more about, especially now that we know that it seems to be this is where Maz gets Luke's lightsaber. Uh that's definitely a story that I am very intrigued about. Um the rest kind of have a feel of the Tales of Books. Uh The Force Awakens, I'm I've started that. I was out doing some scout stuff today and I'm in the middle of reading uh, the Battlefront book, but I left my hardcover at the house and I hadn't downloaded the ebook because I I bought the ebook too. Uh, I hadn't downloaded it on my phone and I was out of Wi-Fi, so I was like, oh well, I have the Force Awakens on, so I started listening to that. Uh, and and I liked how that really started. I liked how it added stuff to Leia's point of view, and I liked the opening with the journal to the wills. I put it on our Facebook page. It was really cool uh, about refined Jedi sight and stuff like that about light and night and day and oh, it was kind of cool. But uh. Yeah, the the uh, the ebook there. I'm I'm glad they put that out the day of the release. Granted, I saw the movie the day before, so I did have to wait. Um, but I'm liking that there are extra details. I heard that uh, there is the details of how Poe gets from one location to another location. Where while you're watching the film, you're like, wait, what? How did? Hey, what? And it's explained in the book. Uh, so so I don't know if it's got a Stover effect quite yet, uh, but we'll have definitely more insight on that when we cover it, when we get to the um, other stuff episode. Because at that point, I will have also seen the film one more time in 3D, as well as had this finished, uh, the ebook. So, Yeah, the ebooks really are... They're basically what the old Tales of books were for, with the exception of The Force Awakens. Even The Perfect Weapon is basically the kind of thing we would have gotten in, like, Tales from Jabba's Palace, Tales from the Bounty Hunters, whatever, where it's, hey, here's this character, Bazin Natal. Hey, it's the, the woman in silver and black with the black fingertips. If you've seen the film, she's a spy, basically, uh, that we see. She's sort of the Garandan character of this movie. And, it, wow, there are, there's a whole lot of parallels between The Force Awakens and A New Hope, and I hadn't even thought about the fact that she's basically Garandan, so yet another <laughs> one. Um, but The Perfect Weapon, I believe, yeah, it's basically the story of how uh, Anakin slash Luke's lightsaber gets where it is in the film. But in the film, they say that she's had it for ages. So it's another of these stories that has no definitive, you know, pinned down chronological placement that is frustrating as all hell. But you have the perfect weapon. It was a decent enough story. Um, you know, it's a cheap, quick little ebook to buy, so might as well grab it. It's cheap enough. Go ahead and pick it up. Try it out. Uh, just kind of know that this is one of these characters that shows up very briefly that got their own story. It's not going to have that much of an effect on the film. And then you've got High Noon on Jakku, All Creatures Great and Small, The Face of Evil, and The Crimson Corsair and The Lost Treasure of Count Dooku, all of which are basically Tales-type stories where it's, hey, here's this character that shows up in the background – Here's a story for them that in most of the, the cases don't even actually have a direct impact on the film itself. It's just like a story featuring those characters that takes place prior to the film at some point. Like High Noon on Jakku is Constable Zuvio, who apparently shows up only in the background, given the fact that he's got a freaking 
action figure and everything. He just shows up in the background in The Force Awakens. All creatures great and small is the weird dude standing behind Rey in line uh, for Plunk or whatever his name is on Jakku when she's going in to turn in stuff for her portions. Um, Face of Evil is creepy as hell. Face of Evil is a really cool thriller slash horror story. I actually really highly recommend that one. Um, couple of weird little aliens that do a lot of things like facial modifications and such for people that are kind of like mad scientists, kind of like the Dr. Frankensteins. And Crimson Corsair happens to focus on the captain in the red armor that we see Finn talking to at one point in the film. So it's kind of this weird deal where it's, here's somebody who was in the background, let's pull them out and make them into their own story. But in this case, calling it Tales from a Galaxy Far, Far Away, Aliens, having that label on it, kind of tells us what to expect. It's going to be like one of those old anthologies. But Perfect Weapon doesn't say that, and yet it's also basically the same thing. I will note here, by the way, that those four stories are all written by the same person, whose name escapes me right now, uh, but it'll all be in one book by that one person, which is different than the earlier anthologies. As for The Force Awakens, yeah, no Stover effect at this point. There's a few new scenes in the novelization that I can only assume are deleted scenes from the movie. Like, how does Poe get off of Jakku? That whole storyline is essentially absent from the movie. This gives you one scene that tries to explain it. You look at the uh, toy line, and even in the Legos, you've got this cool uh, snowspeeder-type vehicle that the that the First Order uses that only shows up a couple of times in the film because a couple of characters are walking away from it having used it a couple of times. And there's apparently supposed to be a chase sequence with it. So that chase sequence is in the book. But otherwise, it doesn't really add much to our understanding of things. And I think it actually even muddies up some of the understanding because the way that, a, that the super weapon of the movie works seems to be different in the film than it is in the book, as if the book was working off of an earlier script, and at some point during the filming, they realized, wow, this is too convoluted, it's going to confuse the hell out of people, let's make it simpler in the actual film itself, and since it's mostly, you know, special effects shots, we can just fix it in post, so to speak, but the book never caught up to it, so... I mean, it's worth a read. It's certainly, I would say, a more smooth read than trying to read the novelizations of A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, or Return of the Jedi. I wouldn't say that it adds very much the way that The Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith one did. I would say it's pretty much on par with the novelization of The Phantom Menace, where it gives you a few new scenes, a little bit of extra stuff, but it's basically all based on deleted scenes. And you're not really going to feel like you have a much greater appreciation of the film having read the book. If there is a Stover effect, as I call it, it is minimal. Yeah, the one thing, you know, I'm I'm again, I'm only in like the third chapter. But the only thing that I thought really cool about it was that insight to Leia. Because, you know, the opening crawl, it's going to give you idea what's going on with her, where she's at, what she's doing, what she's looking for. And there was a part of me that was like, why doesn't she go look for said device? And I think that the way that first chapter explains that, it set my mind at ease. Because I was thinking of uh, Empire or uh, Return of the Jedi and the scene there at the end and how she's able to pick up on certain things. And I was like, well, why not pull an Ezra and Kanan and kind of just, you know, go find the thing. And they explain it well enough that that just completely took that 
question I had right out of my mind. I was like, oh, okay. Little too much drinking and so forth for Carrie Fisher, I think is why. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm still early enough that, like, like I said, I, I don't know if that continues on or if that was just like it. But that was one of the things that while I was watching The Force Awakens that jumped right out was like, wait, why have so-and-so be the one that's the catalyst for this adventure here? But but they did a good job in that regard. I was like, oh, okay. And I think that's one of the cool things too with Aftermath that really surprised me was that, you know, they did talk about how, you know, Aftermath wouldn't spoil anything for The Force Awakens, but when you're watching The Force Awakens, things from Aftermath, you know, you'll recognize them after the fact and be a little more excited, like Snap. You know, that's one of those characters that I was kind of like, oh, hey, wow, he showed up. But the other one was uh, Mon Mothma's scene in one of the interludes uh, really sets up the idea of what's going on with the new Republic and why the new Republic and the resistance are two separate entities and not one entity, which when I was watching the film, I didn't quite catch. And it wasn't until my second watching of the film. Like that's one of the coolest things about this. Like the more times you watch it, the more you're picking up and I'm kind of giving it the, what I call the reread effect. You know, I talk about that with the new Jedi order. It's my favorite series because it's the one series I have reread the most. And I'm seeing across the board, everyone, they watched the film. They were like, I've got to digest this. I've got to process this. Okay, I've watched it a second time. I've processed it a little more. I've watched it a third time. I'm thinking this is my favorite movie. And I'm like, wow, the reread effect is working with Star Wars, the, the films too. You keep watching it and you're just getting a little more out of it each time. And so, I don't know, I love the little contrast there, the trade-off. Absolutely. I actually saw it for the second time this morning. We're recording this on December 21st. I went and saw it in a 4K 3D, and in the interim between the first time that I saw it and seeing it here a few days later in 3D, I had read the Visual Dictionary, Incredible Cross-Sections, Before the Awakening, Ray's Survival Guide, and the novelization, and it didn't really add that much to my appreciation or understanding of what I was seeing, but I was able to say, oh, that's a cool thing, that's a cool thing, oh, I know that one, kind of like I can do now, you know, watching A New Hope, and picking out characters in Mos Eisley Cantina, for instance, and that sort of thing. That moves us into the young adult novels, and this is kind of a weird category, this is sort of the teen-aimed category, as opposed to even younger. In this case, we have five books. We have four of them from Force Friday, one of them from the day of the release of The Force Awakens. We have The Weapon of a Jedi, which is a Luke story, Smuggler's Run, which is a Han and Chewie story, Moving Target, which is a Leia story, Lost Stars, which is billed as Romeo and Juliet in Star Wars, kind of. And then Before the Awakening, which is one book that actually has three shorter stories in it. One for Ray, one for Finn, one for Poe, to help essentially give you some background on them as they head into the situations in the film. Yeah, that one, I've got a copy coming to me. I'm going to be uh, interviewing uh, Greg about that one. I'm actually really excited for that one. Uh, I like the idea that it's going to set some of the characters right up to where they're at in the film. Um, you know, I, I think that that's one of the things that I'm really excited the most about with this new canon so far is this film really got me hooked on these characters. You know, I was kind of worried about, you know, Poe Dameron, if I was going to like his character, how much I would like Ray and all that stuff. But the bromance between Poe and Finn, man, like I'm like, I can't wait to learn more about these guys because there was like an instant and immediate bromance that reminded me of Han and Luke in A New Hope that I'm like hoping that when we get their backstories, it kind of gives me an idea of why these two click so well, because it was just glorious to watch when they did. Uh, and, and so that insight there 
into where they are, how they got there. Uh, and just, you know, everything about Poe right now, I'm really wanting to know more, you know, his place in the resistance, you know, how up the line is he, how trusted is he? Uh, you know, I mean, cause the fact that Leia is running this thing is, it, it just really intrigues the hell out of me. So that's something that I'm really excited about. And then, uh, I, I do have uh, Nathan. You actually sent me uh, copies of the Weapon of the Jedi Smugglers Run and Moving Target, as well as Lost Stars, which is going to be one of the next ones I read because everybody and their dog is talking about how great Lost Stars is. And I, I flipped through it a little bit when I've gotten it. I can't wait to get into it. Uh, but I've got all these other books right now that just jumped into my lap. So I'm like, holy crud! You know, how can I get through these all in, in such a quick time uh, and move on to more stuff? Because there's just more stuff coming, and that's what's cool too. But uh, yeah, Lost Stars, I think it's probably right next to Before the Awakening are the two out of all those young adult ones that I'm really excited about. But what really surprised me with Lost Stars is that book is so big. I I scratch my head and wonder how they really can. F- I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure that there are beyonders out there that are going to drop us some comments here about what I'm about to put my foot in my mouth with. But I don't understand how they can call it a young adult book. That book is the size of an adult book. Like everything about that book looks like every other book on my shelves. I have a hard time seeing it, looking at it physically and going, oh yeah, that's a young adult book. Like nothing about that screams young adult to me. It it looks like a regular book size story content. And it sounds like from whatever, from everything I've gathered that it's got some pretty adult themes in it. So I'm kind of like, well, what really justifies this as a young adult book aside from just the publisher? Uh, so that that's one of those weird things for me because I'm like, the other books are all a little bit smaller. It kind of makes sense. But that one, I really scratched my head on why we're calling it a young adult book. Well, let me add myself to the everyone and their dog. So uh, Lost Stars is absolutely, without a doubt, the single best book in story group canon thus far. Lost Stars is phenomenal. To call it Romeo and Juliet in Star Wars, the way they were building it, I think is kind of a a, a misnomer. I think it does it an injustice because, you know, I'm a Shakespeare fan. I love me some Hamlet, love me some Macbeth, some Julius Caesar, and so on. But Romeo and Juliet, as lyrical as it sounds, and as much as I like some of the lines in it, I've always found the story of Romeo and Juliet very lacking. Because it's basically a couple of teenagers who've never spoken to each other, meet, see each other, fall madly in love, literally at first sight, and are like, I can't live without you, let's do, oh, let's get married within a matter of, basically in terms of conversation time, what, 10, 15 minutes? And then wind up getting married, never really get to spend more than the one night married together, and then it's, you know, I can't be with someone, I'm going to go kill myself, and so on. It just, everything about it screams teenagers who can't control their emotions, and who make stupid, reckless decisions. To me, Romeo and Juliet is not a great love story, it is a great cautionary tale. So... Hearing that Lost Stars was like Romeo and Juliet in space from one person who winds up on the rebel side, one that winds up on the imperial side, I was kind of like, oh, really? And I'd never heard of Claudia Gray before. So I was like, oh, this is somebody who I haven't heard of. What should, you know, what should I expect? And it turned out to be absolutely phenomenal. It follows these characters from just shortly after Revenge of the Sith when they're kids, taking it all the way up through their childhood together into the Imperial Academies, into the Empire, eventually into the Rebellion and the Empire, all the way up through the Battle of Jakku and shortly thereafter, all is one 
sort of generational tale where it interweaves with the events of A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi in believable levels. Although some will say, it's stupid to have these characters in the background of that scene just so that they're there. Well, if they're an Imperial officer and that's their duty, it makes sense that they might have been posted at that particular spot. So it's it gives us a great story for them, huge emotional impact. I was almost crying at the end of the book uh, for a confrontation that winds up taking place. There's background that leads into what the Battle of Jakku was all about. It's the most background we've gotten for that, even counting Battlefront. It's just really a very solid book that I think adults should definitely be reading. I think it's young adult because of the print size and the fact that they're teenage characters. It's kind of like Twilight in that sense, but this has it all over Twilight because these characters aren't flipping stupid. Um, Sorry, Mm. did I say that out loud? Uh, Are you team Wolfman or are you team Vampire? I'm team kill them all. That's my (laughs) thing. Uh, The others. Weapon of a Jedi Smugglers Run Moving Target. They're part of the journey to The Force Awakens. Don't really feel like it. Uh, Basically, Weapon of a Jedi has Luke versus Sarko Plank. And Sarko Plank is a background character we see in the film, uh, even less than some of the characters that got their own ebooks. We've got Smuggler's Run, which introduces Emmett, uh, E-M-A-T-T, who is the white-bearded, long-white-haired guy who says a certain line during the, ba- the, the one of the base sequences in the, the Resistance base in The Force Awakens. And then Moving Target, a little bit different. Moving Target doesn't feel like it has as much of a direct connection to The Force Awakens in its main story, but it is a specific setup for Return of the Jedi. If you wanted to know what do the Rebels do as soon as they learn there's a new Death Star being made, and how do they lead up directly into what's going to happen in Return of the Jedi, read Moving Target. Moving Target was a really good book. I mean, all three of them are pretty good, but Moving Target, definitely one that you should probably be reading. All three of them, though, have... The main story is actually a flashback, and there's a prologue and an epilogue that take place shortly before or during the very beginning of The Force Awakens. And in those segments, we get to meet the older Emmett. We get to meet Peasy, the blue droid that we see in the Resistance base in the film, and Jess Pava, who is the uh, female pilot that we see uh, flying alongside Poe Dameron in the Force Awakens. It was played by a, a woman who played one of the uh, one of the, the daughter characters, the the Sand Snakes or whatever they called them in Game of Thrones recently. So it's kind of giving you a little bit of a nudge that direction because you're seeing some things to help whet your appetite for the Force Awakens. But the actual stories, moving target is between Empire and Jedi, and the other two are between a New Hope and Empire. They're not direct lead-ins to the film or anything. Speaking of direct lead-ins, before the Awakening. Mixed bag. I did like it, but only two of the stories feel like they're actually leading into The Force Awakens. The Finn story leads up directly to the opening of the film. The Poe story takes place over the span of months, but leads directly into the film as well. The Rey story spans a matter of months, but could be really any time before the film. It's sort of her learning a tough lesson and getting a look at her life on Jakku rather than feeling like it's a direct lead-in to the film itself. I would actually recommend all of these. They're all good reads, and they're all fairly consistent quality. Lost Stars is head and shoulders above any of them and any of the adult ones so far, but the other ones are all 
of good quality. Uh, I'd say if this was, you know, if I was having to grade on a curve where Lost Stars has set this incredibly high bar, it's the A, the others are Bs. Take out Lost Stars, the other ones are all A's, just not extremely relevant A's. Mm, Well said. That brings us to the really young books. We have Jedi Academy, The Phantom Bully, Jedi Academy, Attack of the Journal, Servants of the Empire, which is the story of Zare Leonis, Rebel in the Ranks, Imperial Justice, and The Secret Academy, the last three books in that series. And we have three new younger reader novelizations of the original trilogy. The A New Hope one entitled The Princess, the Scoundrel, and the Farm Boy. The Empire one entitled So You Want to Be a Jedi? Question mark. And the one for Return of the Jedi, Beware the Power of the Dark Side. Now, okay, I actually happen to have a couple of these, uh, and the Servants of the Empire one, I only have the first two, I think, uh, and that's one I'm actually, I, I'm excited for, because I, I like the tie-in aspects of what's going on with that with Rebels, I'm hoping for more there, you guys know me, if it ties in in some regard, I get a kick out of that. Uh, the Jedi Academy, my son is a huge fan, uh, in fact, I got him the Phantom Bully, uh, or Attack of the Journal, whichever the third one is. I got it for him for Christmas. He's got the other two. He likes them all. He loves them. Uh, and uh, Beware of the Power of the Dark Side, I think that's the other one I have. Uh, so You Want to Be a Jedi, uh, I recall seeing it, uh, but I haven't picked it up. They don't really add too much more, I don't think, in this regard. Um I mean, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Like, if it's adding more to the story, I'm going to want to jump right on it. But, like, you know, when you're talking about uh, the Jedi Academy, I mean, that's not even that's not even a Legends continuity kind of thing. It's like a non-universe Infinities type story. Uh, you know, one of those stories that gives me hope for continuing Legends someday because people say those type of stories are a, worse, uh, a complete waste of Disney's time and money. And yet, bam, here they're still putting them out. So, I don't know. I'm kind of like on the fence with that, I guess. Well, these, I have never read any of the Jedi Academy stuff. So Phantom Bully, Attack of the Journal, just, you know, right over my head, not my wheelhouse. Servants of the Empire, been reading that series, have read all of it, summarized it all for the timeline gold and everything, which of course is at StarWarsFanWars.com slash timeline for those who aren't already familiar with that. This is a really cool series because we were introduced to Zare Leonis back in Breaking Ranks in Rebels Season 1. We briefly see him again in Vision of Hope when he says he's going off to the Academy on Arcanus, and then we haven't seen him since, up to this point at least, at the end of 2015, and he has his own story thread of what's going on with his search for his sister, Dara, and this series, it's a really good series. I like the character of Zara. I like his girlfriend, Marae, her character. It plays out very well. I think that adults should also be reading this if you like the character from Rebels. If you like Rebels in general, I think you'll probably like this series, Servants of the Empire. What did kind of shock me is that it appears, unless he just couldn't say, because I asked Jason Fry about this, unless he just couldn't say, it seems as though... In Rebels in the Ranks, you've got a crossover with the Breaking Ranks episode. Imperial Justice has a brief crossover with Vision of Hope and that meeting between Ezra and Zare. The Secret Academy doesn't have any direct crossovers with Rebels, though the Rebel characters are in it. And that story wraps up the entire search for the sister and what's going on there. So apparently that is not a story that's going to be wrapped up in the show. They lay the seed in the show, but they 
finish the story here in the books. I think that's going to confuse some people and leave people saying, well, wait a second, what happened to Zare's story if they're only watching the show? If you want to know what happened, you've got to read the series. I also find it interesting that the Secret Academy lays some seeds for The Force Awakens. You'll notice in The Force Awakens how young all of these Imperials seem to be. And the idea that stormtroopers are being trained basically from birth, so they're incredibly loyal, very much like the clones from the Clone Wars were, except this time without the, the difficulty of having the same genetics where one uh, DNA-targeted weapon or bioweapon could wipe them all out. The whole idea of, well, the clones were efficient, but there was that whole DNA targeting thing that was a problem, so let's do something different but train soldiers from birth in some other way, is an idea that comes out in The Secret Academy, where it's General Hux's, the character from The Force Awakens, his dad in The Secret Academy starting that process. So it's kind of cool to see that The Secret Academy, not only does it wrap up Zare's story, for what we know, at least. But it also winds up having some direct feeding into The Force Awakens. Some of the more direct feeding into The Force Awakens than most of the stuff that was labeled as Journey to The Force Awakens. So that's a pretty cool series. Um, the other three, the novelizations, they vary wildly. The Princess, the Scoundrel, and the Farm Boy tells part of the story from Leia's perspective, then part of it from Han's, then part of it from Luke's. So we get a few new scenes that are interesting, like the question of, well, when Leia got captured, did she ever try to escape? And if so, what were the results? Those types of little scenes, those are pretty cool. Or Luke, mm. how does Luke all of a sudden become this ace X-Wing pilot or be allowed to fly in an X-Wing at all in Red Squadron whenever he just kind of shows up out of nowhere on Yavin 4, and all he has to go by is people saying, yeah, they say he's a good pilot. We actually haven't seen him fly anything. <laughs> we get a scene with him and Wedge and a flight simulator. So oh. Princess Scoundrel and the Farm Boy does have a little bit of a Stover effect to it. Um, so You Want to Be a Jedi is bizarre. It's told from our present day of someone telling you a story as if the galaxy far, far away was real. And telling you the story, basically, of The Empire Strikes Back. Interspersed huh. with lessons of things like how to meditate. Try this to focus your concentration. Things you can really do if you're the reader to try to focus your concentration and calm your mind. But the story itself is told in a really bizarre way. I think of this as, what if the current Doctor Who, Peter Capaldi... If, you, if you're familiar with Doctor Who, you know kind of the way that his he bounces around through ideas when he's telling stories. What if the current Doctor Who had seen The Empire Strikes Back years ago and is now trying to retell that story in his weird way to somebody who's never seen it before, only he's forgotten big chunks of the movie, so he's going to get a bunch of stuff wrong, but since he's telling it to somebody who's never seen it, who gives a crap if he gets things wrong? Mm -hmm. That's what that book is. It's, it's See, I... The Empire Strikes Back as told by your drunk uncle. I had totally misunderstood those. Those are the three basic rewrites of the original trilogy, but we're see I've been looking for those. I found them, but they're out of my price range still. And I want to get them because on one hand, I'm still like I I need to have one, two, three, four, five, and six 
on my Canon shelf. But I am not going to be putting Empire Strikes Back on there with a blue Yoda. Until they give me a version where Yoda's not blue, I'm not putting it on there. I'm not going to put Stover's Episode 3 with my Canon books because it's all Canon so far as it lines up. Well, half the book doesn't line up anymore, so I'm not putting it on there. Uh, So I like the idea that they were going back there, but I had heard that the second and third of those books got really weird and hearing that it's in a present day, like I, I don't know if I'd even want to put that on in my Canon shelf. Like I'm conflicted there, man. Oh, if you wouldn't put the one by glut, the original novelization on there, you would not want to put this one on there. Uh, it is very <laughs> different in some cases and it truncates some situations and takes all the fire of it. Like the, uh, I just assume kiss a Wookiee scene plays out completely differently. Uh, it's, hmm. it's weird in that sometimes he's doing things differently in what seems like it's it's on purpose, and other times it seems like he's just truncating things for no reason. Beware the Power of the Dark Side is a much more straightforward retelling of Return of the Jedi. In that case, when there is any kind of Stover effect, any and I say Stover effect, it's basically when you read an adaptation of something and it improves your appreciation of that original something. Like for me, Stover's novelization of Revenge of the Sith did when I saw Revenge of the Sith for the first time in theaters. Um... This is little things, like the fact that Jabba never actually planned to pay Leia slash Bush the money that he agreed to after the thermal detonator thing because he was so pissed off about the thermal detonator thing, he was going to find a way to make her die slowly. And just little tidbits like that, but otherwise relatively straightforward. And it does a weird thing of moving when Vader arrives at the Death Star. It starts with C-3PO and R2-D2 on Tatooine in the desert on their way to Jabba's palace and moves Vader's arrival until later. It's also got some odd footnotes to add little funny or unusual additional pieces of information that don't necessarily fit within the narrative that could very easily have just been put in parentheses. So I would recommend them, but they're odd. For a lot of these, by the way, if you go to StarWarsReport.com, instead of looking under podcasts and finding us, you look for text-based articles under Beyond the Films. Anything that ends with dash a Beyond the Films review, I'm doing text reviews of a lot of things now on the site, and all of those three adaptations and more have gotten those types of reviews already. That brings us to other. Uh, Other, kind of a catch-all, before we get into the magazine-related stuff and anything that's been reprinted, we have... Sabine, My Rebel Sketchbook, Ray's Survival Guide, three William Shakespeare's Star Wars entries, The Phantom of Menace, The Clone Army Attacketh, and The Tragedy of the Sith's Revenge. We have the Lego Star Wars character encyclopedia. Note that younger reader books, like the the little kids' books, little adaptations of episodes of Rebels and whatnot, are adaptations of the Lego Star Wars droid tales kind of stuff. We don't usually include within these rundowns. That's why they're not there. Lego Star Wars character encyclopedia does fit because it's more of a reference work. Star Wars, absolutely everything you need to know. Then we have Ships of the Galaxy. Rebels Visual Guide, the second one entitled Epic Battles. The Art of the Force Awakens. And two other new releases for The Force Awakens, The Force Awakens, The Visual Dictionary, and The Force Awakens, Incredible Cross-Sections. Oh, yeah. These ones are uh, ones that I don't have many of in general. Uh, The the Lego Star Wars character, happened to have that one because my son wanted it. Ships of the Galaxy, that's actually one I want to get. Uh, the Rebels Visual Guide for Epic Battles. I don't know if I care. Shakespeare, Nate, I know that's right up your alley. Not one that... I really, I'm like doing cartwheels for race survival guide. I'm kind of interested in as well as Sabine's uh, sketchbook, because there's just little tiny tidbits of things in those. 
Uh, and then, of course, you know, anytime you got visual dictionaries and cross sections, those are always cool. So that'll be something that as they come on sale, I'll be really excited to find. The art of the the Force Awakens. I guess I'll have to look and see. Those type of things aren't really the must-haves for my kind of fandom. I mean, I'm not so much into the how the things were built. I I just like seeing it. I like more to know about the story building, not so much the visual side of things, I guess. Yeah, these are sort of hit or miss for me. A lot of these I actually do have, but whether I would recommend them or not really just kind of depends. Uh, Sabine, My Rebel Sketchbook, and Ray's Survival Guide are kind of like the Ezra's Journal thing. They're quick little insights into the mind of a particular character. Sabine, My Rebel Sketchbook, doesn't really add much at all to Sabine's character. It's a little bit of her background, a little bit of like her favorite musicians and things like that, but not a big deal. Ray's Survival Guide doesn't add a whole lot either. It's her just describing what life is like on Jakku, and you can get most of the little facts that show up in it elsewhere. Though I do find it cool that we find out the name of the ATAT that she uses as her makeshift home on Jakku, uh, like what its designation was and which Star Destroyer it came from uh, during the Battle of Jakku, but it's only little things like that. Uh, it's a, it's basically assuming that she's writing this while she's on Jakku, and then the movie starts, and then she writes sort of a little end point while they're on their way to Tekodana. Uh, to Maz's place. So basically, it covers a little bit of The Force Awakens at the end, but most of it is just like her talking about her life before it without hardly any chronological reference whatsoever, giving us any real insight into the character beyond what we could already have gleaned from the film. The Shakespeare ones, uh, I really, really like the Star Wars Shakespeare stuff, especially after you get past the first one, A New Hope, or uh, whatever, Verily A New Hope. Because he starts to get away from trying to ape Shakespeare's actual lines for Star Wars and just uses that style for Star Wars. The downside here, and I'll have to check iTunes again, actually, but when these came out, it was really disappointing to me that it's only in book form. Because the other three, the classic trilogy ones, all have audio dramatized versions that are fully cast that are incredible. But these were just in print. I'm hoping that if they don't have them and I just haven't run into them... um, or if they maybe later go through and add those, that those will be up to the same high quality as those previous ones. The books themselves are fine. It's just I really like to hear my Shakespeare experiences or Shakespearean experiences dramatized. That's why I actually bought this enormous audio drama set of Archangel Shakespeare that has every single one of Shakespeare's plays, even the bad ones, uh, all basically fully dramatized with people like David Tennant doing the voices. I mean, I love Shakespeare in full dramatized, non-abridged form. The Lego Star Wars character encyclopedia, I dug. This is like the updated, revised version of it. I got the first one, picked up this one. I like those guidebooks, but that's about the only thing I pick up for Lego Star Wars books. Absolutely everything you need to know. I don't know. I, I liked it. I gleaned some things from it. It was mostly stuff like, hey, what stuff seems to be being carried over from Legends into canon? But then there's a disclaimer on the book that points out that some of the stuff is from Legends. So you're kind of sitting there like, so what is canon actually in this book? What the hell? Ships of the Galaxy, I didn't pick up. I flipped through it. It annoyed me. Journey to the Force Awakens. Are there any of the Force Awakens ships in it? No. Not unless you do the little fold-out flap thing where you see a couple of things. But otherwise, it's a book about ships we've already seen a million times before. Rebels Visual Guide Epic Battles, decent book, 
a few new tidbits of information. It basically is giving us a wrap-up of some of the more recent stuff that we saw with Rebels leading up through the first couple of episodes of Season 2. Kind of like the original visual guide took us through Spark of Rebellion in the first few episodes of Season 1. Art of The Force Awakens, I have not checked out. Not a big fan of the art books. It's just not really my thing. And the Visual Dictionary and Incredible Cross-Sections, both of those I've picked up. Incredible Cross-Sections doesn't add a lot of new information, but it's cool to to see the ships kind of all sliced up and whatnot. It's kind of neat to see inside them, especially looking at something like the Millennium Falcon and comparing it in that era versus what we saw before in the earlier Incredible Cross-Section books back from the original trilogy. The Visual Dictionary, I would almost say, is a must-read if you want context for The Force Awakens. There's a ton of info. Usually one of these visual dictionary books, you know, when I'm working on them for the Star Wars Timeline Gold and I'm reading them, I'm putting little post-its in them uh, as ways to take notes. This one has tons of post-its sticking out the top. It looks like it's got its own spiky hair. There are so freaking many post-its because there are so many different things that I think are going to be necessary to add into my summary of The Force Awakens to make sure that it is getting everything across that I want to get across, whether it's Character names, place names, background info. The fact, the background info that tells us that Snap Wexley and Tim and Wexley are the same character, even though it's not explicitly stated, is in that book. Um, what's the deal with the Resistance and the Republic, and how do they relate to each other, and why? In that book. So that one is, it has all the context that those who feel as though they've there isn't enough context in The Force Awakens have been looking for. Though one could argue that you shouldn't have to get that from a book. True. And speaking of things that you shouldn't have to get, or the opposite of shouldn't have to get, things that you shouldn't be able to find anymore. Legend stories. In fact, we've had eight legend stories this year. Yes, you heard me right. Eight legend stories this year. Yeah, they're all short stories. Yeah, they are all set in the Old Republic MMO era slash game. Uh, But we did have eight new stories all in the Legends universe. Take that, naysayers. Ha ha. Uh, But anyway, let's uh, a quick rundown on these. I know me and Nate, we haven't had a chance to read any of these, but they are out there. I know it seems like blasphemous, a Star Wars EU podcast, not reading the actual EU stories that came out this year, but... They are here for you guys. I will put them in the show note links. Uh, But we have One Night in the Dealer's Den, uh, which came out February of 2015. We have The Price of Power, also in February. We have The Final Trial, which came out in March. We have Regrets, that came out in April. The Sixth Line Part 1 in April. The Sixth Line Part 2 in April. Brothers in July, as well as Vacation in July. Uh, so they're all kind of based around the expansions that they've had lately for the, uh, MMO game. Um, but yeah, they are all there. They're available on the blog, uh, of the official site for the old Republic. So you can go and check those out again. I'll have the links here for everybody, but yeah, it it blew me away. I, I knew there was a couple out there that it came, but when I hunted them all down, there was eight of them, eight guys, you know, take that hashtag continue legends. Fair. And I see, I didn't realize there were that many out there. I haven't had a chance to gather them up because I haven't had a chance to start reading them for the timeline. That's one of those things I need to get on sometime soon. So even I am going to be looking forward to the links in the show notes so I can grab those also. Um, I guess we should also note here, speaking of legends, though, that we do also have uh, paperback reprints of things like Mall Lockdown and Honor Among Thieves that came out this year. So the legends 
books that hadn't been reprinted yet from hardback to paperback when that all wrapped up did finally wind up getting that treatment here this year. So for those who are trying to complete a Legends collection and are looking for paperback instead of hardback, that option is very much available at this point. Which brings us to, before we talk about the whole Journey to the Force Awakens concept, one last topic, and that is magazines. Now, depending on which ones we're looking at, these could go under comics or go under novels and other prose material. We're just going to kind of lump them all here together. So those who are looking for coverage of the Rebels magazine in our comics episode should look here. And I'll probably mention that when we're doing it, but there's a lot of comics to cover. We have the U.S. version of Rebels magazine from Titan. We had issues one and two released this year. I personally have not got a chance to check out number two yet. It's on the way to me from uh, eBay. I've checked out number one. They are reprints predominantly of material that is from the U.K., Rebels Magazine, including the comic stories that are in those. Then we have Star Wars Insider. And in the issues of Star Wars Insider that we got this year, we had quite a few short stories. We had Last Call at the Zero Angle, Orientation, Rebel Bluff, Kindred Spirits, Blade Squadron Zero Hour, and In Brief. In Brief, by the way, was written by Janine Spindlove. I didn't know her under the name Spindlove in the past, but Janine is one of the early Star Wars fan audio people. She was with Ron and Rich on Requiem of the Outcast that premiered way back in 2003. Wow. So she's kind of one of these uh, uh, fan audio people that's made good. She has her own uh, novel series and whatnot out there, but she had a chance also to write for Star Wars with In Brief in the most recent issue, at least as of this point, of Insider. There is another new issue that they held till after The Force Awakens that should be on the way to us all for subscribers in the mail very soon. So basically six short stories and the U.S. finally getting the Rebels magazine from the U.K. starting to be reprinted here, albeit way behind. See, when it comes to these type of things, uh, my comic store just started getting the Rebels magazine. I haven't picked any up. Uh, I've seen two of them come across the counter. I've opened them, I've flipped across them, I see the comic in them, and I'm just, the content isn't enough to lure me in. Now, on the same token, I'm getting insider magazines, I'm getting every single one of those. And at the same time, every now and again, I question, you know, do I want, I go back and forth with that, because sometimes I really enjoy the content, and sometimes I feel like the content aimed towards my particular favorites in fandom is like two pages and on those weeks and months i feel like why am i continuing to throw money at this but thank goodness there are those exclusive little stories so i feel like i'm getting some kind of justification though again i will say i like it when they down the road collect them and put them out in a book form and i don't even mind the fact that i'm buying them in the insider magazine and then buying them in that book form also i will continue to do that but that, that concept of having a story put in one magazine and kind of thing, and it just disappears and you never see it again. I hate that with a passion. Uh, there's a side of me that like, I want to grab whoever's idea that is to let that story just slip into the nether worlds of magazines and just <laughs> sit slap the hell out of them for it. Because no, the collector in me wants it in a book. Like, I, I don't know that that's an angle that I hope they go back to uh, give us more of those collected uh, I don't know that that for me, like 
maybe if they were to do something like that and made that the the standard norm, maybe I would step away from Insider, but I don't know. I'm kind of conflicted with that. Well, Rebels Magazine, it's very kiddie content. I don't think many adults will actually care for most of the content. The stories are decent enough. They tend to be longer stories because it's one story usually in an issue rather than two. What we tend to see in the UK, for instance, when it, and then they reprint them over here. The artwork tends to actually be pretty good, certainly a far cry better than some of the artwork we saw in Kane in the last Padawan when they had the guest artist come in and the characters didn't look remotely like themselves, or like what Fantasy Flight Games does when they try to make them look realistic for some of their upgrade cards and Ezra winds up looking like a complete idiot, and so forth. So, those are decent enough. The price tag for one story for the, the comics that are in it, not really justifiable, unless you're doing something like the Star Wars Timeline Gold, in which case... You know, you kind of have to. For the Insider short stories, all pretty good this year. It was nice to see them starting to link them again to the different books, like Kindred Spirit, uh, Kindred Spirits, plural, gives us some background on the pirate and Asage before Dark Disciple. Orientation gives us sort of an interlude within the span of Lords of the Sith and so forth. I do like those. I like the fact that Blade Squadron Zero Hour is actually referring to, a, it's a mission on Malastare that's referred to in Aftermath and so forth. So they did a good job of linking them together. And I'm glad that most of the issues this year did actually have original short fiction. I think there was only maybe one issue this year, and I believe it was with an Heir to the Jedi excerpt that only gave us an excerpt rather than giving us original fiction. Excerpts bore me. I don't want to read an expert excerpt. Give me the actual book. I'm not using it to read the little chunk that you put out there as a preview. The cool thing about the excerpts, though, is that it does give you new art. And that was what revealed to everyone, oh, hey, Nakari Kellen is a black woman. Because otherwise, it would have slipped right past most of us when reading the book. So good stuff pretty much all around. Uh, I think it was a pretty good year. To be a subscriber to Insider, jury's still out on whether Rebels Magazine is going to be worth it or if we should just be saying screw it and going on eBay or something and grabbing the UK ones so that we're not behind. Because remember, the Clone Wars Magazine, and I think even Star Wars Magazine, had stories that were released in comic form in those magazines in the UK that never got reprinted in the United States because of how those series ended in relation to the U.S. versions. They tend to end around the same time, but one starts way after the other one, which usually means that we lose out on content in the U.S., which I guess puts us in the shoes of other parts of the world most of the year. That brings us to the last big question of the episode here. Since we're talking about books, and aside really from Shattered Empire, it's really the books that carried on the the label across the top of the book, The Journey to Star Wars The Force Awakens. This big publishing push with this name across the top of so many books basically saying, hey, all these books and this one comic series, but all these books that are coming out in 2015, you're going to want to snatch those up, especially on Force Friday, because these books are going to get you ready for The Force Awakens. I got to be honest. I don't feel as though that label that publishing approach was even remotely successful. I think it was bait and switch, basically. The the idea of saying it's the journey to The Force Awakens, to me, suggests it's going to be an actual journey from Return of the Jedi to The Force Awakens. It's going to try to fill the gap. It's going to lead us directly into the film. 
It's a journey. It's storytelling. And that's not what we got. They should have named it, uh, I don't know, uh, Introduction of Random Characters Appearing in the Background of The Force Awakens. Because most of the books labeled as Journey to the Force Awakens, all they do is they introduce a character like Constable Zuvio. They introduce um, Sarko Plank, Jess Pava. They introduce us, or even Tim and Wexley, slash Snap Wexley. Give us these characters that have minor or background non-speaking roles in The Force Awakens and really don't have any direct influence on getting us from Return of the Jedi to The Force Awakens. Heck, some of them don't even take place in that time period. Those that do... The vast majority of them take place within that first year to year and a half after Return of the Jedi that doesn't really show us anything about the development of the First Order or the Resistance, and then the stuff that is shortly before The Force Awakens doesn't show us much except, you know, brief conversations between characters. Ironically, the one book that was released as one of those young adult books that doesn't have the Journey to the Force Awakens on the top of it was Before the Awakening. And it's the only freaking book that actually feels like it's leading directly into The Force Awakens. That name, that product line label, was a big old pile of bullshit. Not to say that the stories were bad, but the stories were not even remotely what we would have expected based on that product label. If you're going to use a product label like that, it damn well better actually describe what we're going to get. That would be like giving us Battlefront Twilight Company and putting the product label at the top, Rainbows and Lollipops. That's not the kind of book you're going to read if you're looking for Rainbows and Lollipops. <laughs> Halo! <laughs> You're like, wait, what? This is a Halo story? You know, I have to agree. I mean, I, the one thing that jumped out to me right away was Aftermath. You know, it's part of the journey, but the books that follow it aren't or are, but they haven't told us yet. Like, I mean, even that's not explained. Like, yeah, they totally dropped the ball with that. In, in a lot of ways, it's almost kind of the opposite of what they did with the New Jedi Order. The New Jedi Order was this book series that was an era they always talked about it and treated it like it was just a series they never treated it like it was an era it was until later that we got invasion and then they're like oh and it's going in the new jedi order era it's like yeah see an era you have so much stuff in this one series you forgot it's an era it's kind of like the opposite of that because yeah I, there, yeah, there was no cohesiveness to the journey up to it, aside from, hey, here's 20 books, of which there's about two that really lead up to anything. And granted, during the Star Wars at Delray panel at Star Wars Celebration Anaheim, they did kind of warn us that the number shock there wasn't as bad as it seemed. They're like, there's 20 books on the journey to The Force Awakens. And then they'd be like... Like, like those little guys that sell the commercial, but you know, those little sponsor guys that talk really fast that give you the whole, you know, sign away your life and we're going to own your testicles. Like, yeah. the whole oh, wait, what? Take this medicine and your balls will fall off. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of how you felt like it was. It was like, oh, but by the way, yeah, there's 20 books, but really, you know, we, we know you're, you're just after the story. So you're looking for two. There's only two books that really appeal to you. The rest are sticker books. 
It seems more like it was a, there's 20 books leading into The Force Awakens, which actually meant, there's 20 background characters we're going to briefly introduce you to that you'll barely notice in the film. <laughs> and we've got sticker books and color books, but they're all part of the journey. Yes, you and your two-year-old can take the journey together. Like, yeah, there was definitely... It's kind of like the same thing with the story group. It's like, hey, here's this really cool story group. They're in charge of everything, but we're not going to tell you how they're working it. We're not going to give you any of that details. We may give you a couple names here, there. If you're paying attention on the credits, like we might have them all together, but we're not even going to tell you that for sure. Like we might add to this. We're not, we're just playing it very loosely. Like really guys, because playing it loosely is what made uh, Legends the quote unquote crap fest that it was or so I'm told. Like, for instance, the back cover text of Weapon of a Jedi. Understand that this starts out with a prologue with C-3PO talking to Jess Pava, who is a pilot we see in The Force Awakens. And is C-3PO with his red arm, so it's him from The Force Awakens too. It's him telling her a story of basically Luke's first lightsaber duel and him finding an old Jedi temple on Deveron. At which point he comes into contact with the character Sarko Plank, who is a bounty hunter character later that we see in the background in The Force Awakens who gets no lines, no focus whatsoever. The book itself says, Luke Skywalker returns in an all-new adventure, which is true. In this story, set between Star Wars A New Hope and Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, Luke finds himself drawn to a mysterious planet where he must use the Force to save a young girl and survive in a dangerous duel against a strange new villain. So that's all completely true. Hidden within the story are clues about the highly anticipated new film, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Not really. Nope. Nope. No clues. Just the identity of a background character who never gets any focus whatsoever. Didn't even get his own freaking ebook later, but he does have a toy. That, to me, is misleading. To say this book holds clues or things that will help lead you to The Force Awakens. Even if we're not going by the Journey to Star Wars The Force Awakens label and taking Journey at face value that it means a story that's going to help lead us into the movie. Even saying the story holds clues about it. That's not really all that true. And especially it's not true if you're looking at the books with that label and you're using that in comparison to, again, Before the Awakening, which is a book without that label that actually fulfills that mission. Uh, it, it doesn't make sense. It should have been like an era marker, or it should have been something where maybe the products have a sticker on them, or a label that says, introduces background character from The Force Awakens, or uh, includes minor characters from The Force Awakens, or something like that. Or hell, release them all with a Tales From or Tales Of label to them, with the tales of thing telling us, hey, this may not be an anthology, but like the anthologies, these are stories relating in some cases to background characters from the film who aren't the focus of the film. But people are picking up these books expecting something bombastic that directly ties into the film in a big way or leads them into the film or shows them an understanding of how the galaxy is working in the context of The Force Awakens. And we get basically none of that with any of these books. It would have been better not to have that label. And even if you were going to keep the hidden in the story are clues, which isn't entirely true, but maybe something like hidden in the story are references to, or things that will tie into, or something, 
have that, you know, maybe in the descriptive text, but take that label off the books because it feels like false advertising once you actually read them. Yeah, I got to agree 100% there. That was definitely one of the angles that just kind of rubbed me wrong all the way around. And, and the other side of it was like when they announced it, there was this complete panic when you're like, wait, 20 books in one day? You're dropping tw-? like, whoa. And it gets back to that angle of the quality over quantity. I mean, we dumped all these books out there. And even at Anaheim, they were like, well, you know, keep in mind, some of these are kids books or sticker books. They're not really book books. But yeah, there was a lot of misleadingness all the way around. And sadly, amidst all of that, the biggest push of those books was on Force Friday, where we had, even if you were only picking up the books that were prose fiction, young adult or adult, we had we had five different books get released. And among them was Lost Stars, which again is phenomenal, but didn't get nearly the, the attention that it should have. Because all the hype and all the focus was on Aftermath. They focused in on the Del Rey thing, not focusing in on the Disney Press thing. Which Mm -hmm. are two different entities, but all pushing this same product line on that same day. I would have liked to have seen more focus on Lost Stars, quite frankly. Yeah, that was one, too. I'm in the same boat. I was like, ooh, Aftermath. Gotta, Gotta read Aftermath. Oh, I, I, you know, and I was like, I don't know about these other ones. They didn't say anything. And in fact, like, you know, when we were like looking out, it was like, okay, there's a lot of these books from Disney and we're not on any of the list to review them. So, you know, then we had to go out and buy them on top of it all. And aftermath, we didn't even get the review copy until after force Friday. So there was that weirdness there too. Like you're waiting for review copies and then like, okay, we didn't get any, like, you know, no letters like, hey, by the way, you guys review like th- that whole aspect of the transition there from one publisher to now two slash three publishers. And I, it was really weird. So it's like you didn't know which book to jump on next. You're like, OK, well, they sent me this one, so I'm going to read that. And I'm, I reg- I honestly regretted it. I, I, I wish I would have grabbed Lost Stars and had that one read by now and was reading Aftermath, even though there are aspects from Aftermath that I kind of tied into The Force Awakens. But, yeah, I just kind of feel like I, I got a little hose there. Well, yeah. And when it comes to the review things, I mean, I always put in orders for the different books. If I happen to get a review copy, which is nice, then I just cancel the order for the book. But when I get a review copy, sometimes in the case of like Aftermath, for instance, it did show up a little bit later. So on the plus side, we'll be able to give that as a giveaway. One of the things we're going to be doing as we get to the end of our year in review is some giveaway stuff. And that's one of them. We also have, for instance, I've got another copy of Battlefront because I got a review copy, but I also bought a signed copy. So we'll get that other copy of Battlefront, Twilight Company, out the door. In the case of Disney Press, they finally got us on the list, sent me a big old box, which had four books that I'd already not only bought, but read. And I was like, okay, I can review them, no problem. And then I, that's the ones I sent off to you so that you would have them, so that we'd be able to talk about them on the show. Um, I don't think that any of these are ones, as, as far as the ones that I've gotten as review copies that I would have read, that I wouldn't have bought otherwise. I mean, heck, I bought So You Want to Be a Jedi and such. So for me, it's sort of a completionist type thing, picking these things up. So I would have picked up all of those Journey to the Force Awakens books anyway. The story should be what's drawing us in. It shouldn't be that label, especially if the label is misleading. I'm hoping 
that whenever they get towards Episode 8 or Rogue One, that the next big push isn't the journey to Rogue One or the journey to Episode 8. Because mm. I've got a feeling that a lot of fans are going to say, you know what? Peace out. Screw this. I'm not doing it again. Because just like Aftermath was so hyped and left a lot of people wanting, I think just the Journey to the Force Awakens concept left a lot of people wanting, and we're not going to buy it next time. It's buy, not only buyer's remorse, but close. Uh, what, was the thing that, what was the thing that Bush completely butchered? You know, that fool me once, a uh, shame on you. Fool me twice, a uh, 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 fool won't get fooled again, or whatever. <laughs> um, but no. I'm never at this point. It's it's kind of like, you know, with after aftermath and all the con conflict and stuff on social media surrounding that. You know, I'm not going to be buying another Chuck Wendig book that's not a Star Wars book. Kind of looking at this after the way they handled Journey of the Force Awakens, I'm never going to take that type of label at face value from them again. Yeah, it had a pretty little uh, shiny cover, but I think about Shattered Empire and I'm like, okay, aside from we've got a character's parents and we know that he was a baby in the comic, uh, I was waiting for two Force-sensitive trees, man. I was like, wait, they're not here. What was the point? What is with all these damn MacGuffin stories lately? Do we do we forget how to tell a story without a damn MacGuffin? <laughs> that is true. But I will say I do like the fact that if you look at some of the stuff published, like uh, the Visual Dictionary, or I guess Incredible Cross Sections, not the Visual Dictionary, that's Pablo, but Incredible Cross Sections, and uh, things like Weapon of a Jedi, uh, you basically have two people who are writing a bunch of this tie-in stuff for the film. You've got Greg Rucka, who did uh, one of the uh, young adult books, plus then did Before the Awakening. And did Shattered Empire. And then you got Jason Fry, who was a co-writer on one of the young adult books, wrote another one, and also has the incredible cross-sections and so forth. So I do like the fact that they're trying to keep it kind of a smaller group, because that means that a lot of times they're self-referencing. Like Alicia Beck, the ISB officer that we meet in Smuggler's Run, is the Imperial officer that one of the characters, basically Poe's mom, tries to impersonate in the last issue of Shattered Empire. You have that connection because he's referencing his own works and knows what he has written before. He doesn't have to do a bunch of other research for it. So in that sense, they're sort of creating their little ecosystem, no pun with the trees, around the film, and that works. And they've given us some cool ways to meet these new characters, even if they're background characters, which was something we loved back in the Legends continuity. Heck, give us a, a customizable card game card of a character that finally gives us his name and a tiny bit of flavor text, and we're excited. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying it doesn't fit the label, so they need to be careful about that in the future. I, I don't want people to get the impression that I'm down on the journey to the Force Awakens and didn't like those materials. I actually mm -hmm. did like the materials. I don't think the name fit. Mm -hmm. Well, what's interesting, you know, you mentioned Greg's style and how he references the one book from the other. And that's a lot like what Zahn, uh, Stackpole and Alston kind of did with their own works. And then eventually they were like, hey, you know, we should kind of get together and, you know, see what we're writing about kind of thing. And that was part of the beauty of the early legends books was the way that they started picking each other's minds and stuff. And you start to see, you know, the, the references that were only in their books starting to pop up in the other author's books. And then you're like, wait, these guys are fans of each other's works. Like, you know, that kind of bromance amongst the authors uh, was kind of cool and something that we kind of need back as well. 
And you just imagine Greg Rucka and Jason Fry walking across the tarmac. One sees the other and is like, hey, you survived. I can't believe you made it here. You wrote for Legends and you survived to write for Canon too. Awesome. And hey, I like that jacket. You can keep it, man. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. That's, that is one of the things that, that when I think of Aaron Alston, that, that just brings a tear to my eye that my favorite stories of his will never ever be canon and he won't ever have an opportunity to get to write a canon story. That's, that's just kind of the tragedy of life right there, man. Man, way to end us on a down note. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Good Lord. <laughs> Now that about wraps up this somber episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Hey, and remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars or Legends questions, or you just want to talk about The Force Awakens, just fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars, Legends, Universe, or that canon one, or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months. That's one year with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you are thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. That they'll actually take our advice and not do a Journey to the Force Awakens type thing for future films, unless it actually means what it says. What are the odds that people won't actually listen to full episodes and just start making judgment calls that we're Legends fans, therefore hate everything canon? I've been getting that a lot on Facebook. Guys, I like the movie! Chill out! Jeez! I get it! It's not Legends! Crap! The following is a contest announcement from Star Wars Beyond the Films. All prizes are from private collections and all entries must be received by February 29th. Hello Star Wars Beyond the Films listeners. If you're catching this in the feed, then it's your lucky day. 
the chance for you to enter our contest tying into our multiple part year in review episodes that we do, of course, every year. Those are coming up here in the feed, and to celebrate The Force Awakens and the end of 2015, the beginning of 2016, we have a pretty large contest, a giveaway here with quite a few items that we will be giving away. Mark and I have reached a point where, in our fandom, we just sometimes wind up with uh, extra copies of things, for instance, or unusual things that may not be part of our collections, and rather than hoarding it like Unkar Plut might... We instead want to share the love a bit and hand these out as part of a massive giveaway here that we'll have to handle a little bit differently because of how many different types of prizes there are this time. Yeah, in fact, we've got a plethora of Star Wars goodies that we're ready to give away. In fact, are you new to the Star Wars universe? Are you new to Legends? Are you wanting to know the difference between canon and the expanded universe? Well, we've got some awesome goodies there. we got the 2015 Delray sampler, as well as the Marvel previews, and some other goodies. Nate, what else we got? Well, our prize packs are going to be pretty varied in terms of what is in them. What I think of as the biggest of the prize packs is for those who have not quite gotten into Disney Infinity 3.0. For those of you that don't know, Disney Infinity 3.0 was released, of course, on consoles and Apple TV and whatnot, where you play with actual figures. But every time you buy a figure, it comes with a webcode card. Because on Android, on iOS devices, and on PC, there is a digital-only version of the game where you play the same missions, you still get access to the toy box and everything, but in order to play with any given characters, you have to get them for that digital version of the game. So you either buy them in the game itself digitally, with real money, or you buy the actual figure, but have no way really to use the figure, and instead you enter the little web code onto the website, and it unlocks those characters for you in the digital-only version of the game. Now, Mark and I are big players now of Disney Infinity, which means we've got a ton of figures, but that also means we have a whole bunch of webcode cards that we're not using. And rather than just having them sit around, we want to give those codes away via email to someone who wins part of this giveaway. So we have three different Disney Infinity web codes via email contest prize packages here this time around. The first one is enormous. I tried counting up the value of this, but it's just kind of insane if you were to try to get all of these figures through the app paying cash for them each time. So first Disney Infinity super web code prize pack for us includes web codes for... And again, just the web codes. We're not talking figures. We're talking the web codes that you need. You'd get them through email and unlock them in the digital version of the game. It includes the codes for the Twilight of the Republic playset pack that includes Anakin and Ahsoka, the Rise of the Empire playset pack that includes Luke and Leia, the Force Awakens playset pack that includes Finn and Rey, plus Obi-Wan, Yoda, Darth Maul, Han, Chewie, Darth Vader, Boba Fett, Poe, Kylo Ren, Kanan, Ezra, Zeb, and Sabine. Yes, every single Star Wars figure released thus far for Disney Infinity 3.0, but that's not all. You also get codes for the Toy Box Takeover and Toy Box Speedway Toy Box Expansions for 3.0. Both Tron Legacy figures, that's Korra and Sam Flynn, 
The one figure released thus far for Nightmare Before Christmas, Jack Skellington. Two of the three figures released for Frozen, Elsa and Anna. You get a figure for The Incredibles, Mr. Incredible, one for Monsters University, Sully, all the ones released for Pirates of the Caribbean, that's Jack Sparrow, Barbosa, and Davy Jones. You get a Mickey Mouse figure, and you get every single figure they have released thus far for Marvel. That includes the Avengers playset with Black Widow, Iron Man, and Thors, the Spider-Man playset pack with Nova and Spider-Man. Guardians of the Galaxy playset pack with Star-Lord and Gamora. You've got Groot, Yondu, Ronin, Drax, Rocket Raccoon, Falcon, Loki, Hulk, Captain America, Hawkeye, Black Suit Spider-Man, Venom, Iron Fist, Nick Fury, Green Goblin, and for 3.0, Ultron, and Hulkbuster Iron Man. Some of these are for 3.0 and play just in 3.0. Others of these Marvel ones play also in 2.0 with their playsets, and you can still download the app or download the PC version of 2.0 to play those stories as well, and these web codes unlock them in all different incarnations of the digital-only version of Disney Infinity. That is a ton of Disney Infinity figures, essentially a complete Marvel set, Pirates of the Caribbean set, Star Wars set, and Tron Legacy set, and Night Before Christmas, I guess, including some other ones to go with them, all here in one prize package. I'll email to you as an enormous list of codes if you win this particular prize pack. We also have two more Disney Infinity prize packs, so call that first one Disney Infinity prize pack number one. We then have Disney Infinity prize pack number two, which includes Anakin, Obi-Wan, Yoda, Luke, Kanan, and Vader. All of those web codes emailed directly to you. We then also have a Disney Infinity prize pack number three, which includes the Rey and Finn, the Force Awakens playset pack, the Anakin and Ahsoka Twilight of the Republic playset pack, plus Poe and the Toy Box expansion, Toy Box Speedway. We then also have three comic book bundles here. We'll call them again, one, two, and three. Comic book prize pack number one is Marvel's Star Wars number one through 13, the current series. These are the actual physical comics. Now, granted, the digital code in each has been used to redeem a digital copy. So you will have the comic, not the digital copy. We have Star Wars number 1 to 13. Yes, that includes a first printing of each issue. None of these second printing, third printing stuff. So you're getting a first printing of number 1, plus of those others that have been reprinted over and over again uh, with their regular covers. Star Wars 1 to 13 includes Skywalker Strikes, that one Obi-Wan Kenobi flashback issue, The Last of His Breed, then the entire showdown on the Smuggler's Moon storyline, along with the first of that series' issues from Vader down. We then have comic prize pack number two, which is Darth Vader, number one through 13. Again, all first print, physical copies, but the digital copy has been redeemed from each one. In this case, that is the original Vader storyline, the Shadows and Secrets storyline, and the first of this series to be part of Vader down. Then we have comic prize pack number three, which includes all five issues of Lando, all five issues of Princess Leia, and the first two issues of Chewbacca. Call it sort of a miniseries prize pack, but it's comic prize pack number three. Now, all of these are coming from those extra copies I was receiving through the subscription service through Marvel Comics. So they are in pretty good shape. There are some of them that have slight bends and such to them. I would say back in the day when it used to be graded good, very good, near mint, and mint, they're all anywhere between, I would say, very good and mint. It just sort of depends on the issue. But you're getting all of them as first prints in physical form for these. We then have some various oddballs. 
let's go to the books. We have hardback copies available as prizes of Battlefront Twilight Company by Alexander Freed, Before the Awakening by Greg Rucka, and Aftermath by Chuck Wendig, all as separate prizes here. We also have one copy of Movie Magic Magazine, which has the article in it that I wrote about The Force Awakens. Whoever wins that one will get a signed copy of that issue of Movie Magic Magazine. I'll sign either the cover or the page with my article, whatever the winner decides they prefer. Then we have, for those who are newer fans, we have three prize packages that include one 2015 Delray sampler and one Marvel preview comic that was just recently released. So a preview comic, a preview from the Del Rey stuff from 2015. Those together, we have three of those duos to give away. We then have four standalone copies to give away of the Marvel Star Wars preview comic that was recently released by itself. Again, four of those to give away. And on top of all of this, if you were to enter and not win, as long as supplies last, I'll be breaking out a stack of cards that I have. We have a whole bunch of cards that are basically my card. It's me on the front and information about Star Wars Action News on the back. From way back when, Star Wars Action News did a card set of all the people contributing to their show. A lot of folks have wanted these to be able to put a signed card of mine in with their copy of Star Wars Tales number 21 or Star Wars Tales Volume 6 or something somehow relating to that story that I wrote or something similar. Or just if you're a fan of the podcast, perhaps. So I will take one of those cards or a Wars card, which I have fewer of, that relates to something from my Wars novellas sign that card, and mail it out to those who don't win the other prize packs. Yes, for those who do win the other prize packs, I'll go ahead and include one of the Star Wars Action News cards signed in there with it, in case you got a copy of Star Wars Tales 21 you want to stick that sucker in with. So, a lot of different prizes this year. Yeah, you ain't kidding. That's a Death star size prize package extravaganza. Now, to enter, because there are so many, here's what you need to do. First, the entries are only via email. So send an email to swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. When you do, put giveaway in the subject line. In the body of the email, we need you to tell us your name and your mailing address in case you win so we can send you the prizes that you won. Although, granted, of course, if you win any of the Disney Infinity ones, we just send you an email with the codes. There's nothing to actually send through the mail unless you would like to also get one of those signed cards, which is fine. That said... We also need to know your top three prizes that you would prefer. Now, we can't guarantee that the prize you're going to get is the one you prefer, but here's the way it's going to work. You put down your top three. Number one, number two, number three. First choice, second choice, third choice. And we'll start drawing winners. And when we draw the first winner out, that person gets their first choice. We draw the second winner out. They'll get their first choice unless it was the one the other person chose. Then we'll go to their second choice or go to their third choice and so on and so on as we pull people's names until everything that can be given away has been given away. It's going to be a lot of packages for me and Mark to send out, but we thought this would be a great way to wrap up the year. Indeed. It's our way of giving back more than our giving you our voices over the Internet, (laughs) which thank you for listening. (laughs) So again, folks. Email swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Put giveaway in the subject line. Give us your mailing address and your name in case you win. And tell us what your top three choices would be. Again, those choices are Disney Infinity Prize Pack number one. That's that large one of web codes. 
Disney Infinity Prize Pack number two, which is the one that has Anakin, Obi-Wan, Yoda, Luke, Kane, and Vader. Disney Infinity Prize Pack number three, which is the Rey and Finn, Anakin and Ahsoka, Poe, and Speedway. Again, those are all for web codes. You will get emailed the items if you win those. Comic Prize Pack number one, which is Star Wars 1 to 13. Comic Prize Pack number two, which is Vader 1 to 13. Or Comic Prize Pack number three, which is Lando, Leia, and the first two issues of Chewbacca. Movie Magic. Aftermath. Before the Awakening, Twilight Company, both samplers, which would tell us you want to enter for the Delray Sampler Marvel Preview Comic, or simply Preview Comic. My guess is we probably won't have a lot of people making those last couple their first, second, or third choices, but it's always possible. Mainly we want to make sure that we're getting something to you that you can use if you are the first people being drawn. But we will keep drawing till everything is given away. Absolutely. So thanks for listening, folks. Happy New Year, and keep listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films. And may the Force be with you, always. But enough about how you got here, let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the Bible. I need to make this bigger. Let's just do that now. A bi-bowler Star Wars fan would be like somebody who's out there bowling strikes and looking and winking at both the men and the women. <laughs> the bi-bowler Star Wars fan. Striking out. And give me one second. Let me flip the switch because now that the fan is on, I got a feeling it's going to be picked up by the audio, picked up by the microphone. Let me sit back down. <laughs> Here we go. All right. <sighs> you said that I did the Falcons a hunk of junk. Then sort of younger reader books, not really children's books, but books aimed a little bit younger than the tend. But books ain't quite a few. I mean, heck, that's what. Six? No. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Uh, there's this whole thing in that book about how uh, the moth wants. What is her name? The Imperial Woman. That's oh, in everything. Uh, uh, oh, Jesus. Now that you said that, uh, not Ray Sloan. Ray Sloan. Ray Sloan. He is Snap Wesley. Or. Just, wait, 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 that guy's Barrett's, Barrett's neighbor? neighbor? Yeah. Are you kidding me? No, it's Barrett's neighbor. That is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're someone doing something like the Star Wars timeline gold. Whoa. You're not muted. Uh, yeah, that was <laughs> But they always talked about it. I'm thinking of, and I forget which one it is. It's sitting in there on my shelf. Actually, give me just a second. Let me grab it because I want to be able to actually quote this thing. Ow. Gotta grab it! Gotta grab it! Um, yes, here we go. Alright. So I want to read the back of this thing and how much bull it is. Okay. For instance, the back cover text of The Weapon of a Jedi. This is a story that features Luke's basically first... Hang on, make sure I'm looking at the right thing. Yeah. 
You may have to do that again. I have my speaker on, and I unmuted for a second. Hit his little sound again. Sure. Oh, come on. Give me that one again, you bastard. That'll work.